Amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you. What an honor for me and a privilege to be here on the 24th anniversary of the church's founding. I'm so grateful for all of the many good things that I have heard about you and the testimony of God's grace among you uh, from mutual friends that we have. My wife Meredith and my son John and I bring greetings from Graceview Baptist Church in Burleson. Uh, We normally sit on the left side of the sanctuary under, what would you call that thing? It's a piece of art, but it's got the five solas on it. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, yes, that's exactly where I want to sit, under this confession of Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And look, I know in just a few minutes, we're going to enjoy some great barbecue from Hammond's, okay? But before we do that, let's look to the Word of God to feed our souls, And that, as Jesus said, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at just two verses this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I want to talk about all of grace. All of grace. Of grace. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning verse 9, says, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the privilege of being among the saints this morning. Lord, we share fellowship in the gospel. Thank you that we are brothers and sisters in your family. And as we have the joy of lifting up our voices corporately to sing your praise Lord, you are infinitely more worthy and value than we can ascribe to you. And help us, Lord, with all of our being and all of our effort to not just sing praise to you, but to live lives that are worthy of this great calling to which you called us. To be your sons and daughters, to represent you and your good grace that you've given to us in the gospel. I pray, Lord, as we look to your word that you would feed us, speak to us by your Spirit, illuminate our minds and our hearts through the word that the Spirit has inspired. And Lord, that we might be more transformed and conformed into the image of Jesus today by looking to his gospel, looking to the grace that has been shown and made evident and manifested among us in him and by Him, and through Him. Lord, we confess our love for You, and we are reminded that You loved us first, and for that we are humbly and gratefully in this place to give You praise and honor. So thank You for Your Word. Bless bless its reading, and bless its teaching, Lord, for Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
and amen. I was five years old when a Jewish rabbi had lost his son tragically to death that sent him on a quest to rationalize that tragedy in the life of of his family, but also how a God that is loving and powerful could allow such a thing to happen specifically to him. That rabbi's name is Harold Kushner. He wrote a book called Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And as much as it is tragic for any parent to lose a child and to wrestle through that kind of grief, it's the wrong question to ask as if God owes us anything. A better question to ask would be, why do good things happen to bad people? And I think this question, properly understood, finds its answer in the pages of Scripture in one simple word, grace. That's why good things happen to bad people, grace. And against the backdrop of the Catholic Church's insistence that salvation is earned or merited through our works, infused with the work of Christ, the Reformers rightly championed a corrective. And that corrective was sola gratia, grace alone. There's not enough merit from our works that can achieve our own salvation. There's not enough to earn the attention of God's favor. And it's God's free grace alone that is sufficient for us and more. It is the beginning, the middle, and the completion of our salvation and eternal life with Him. And Paul reminds his protege in the faith, Timothy, just how gracious our God is in the salvation that He's brought us in Christ Jesus. I think in these two verses... There is a beautiful symmetry of Paul's instruction. Just in a big picture way, let me show you how this symmetry sticks out to me from what Paul has written in these words. Notice that it is God who saved us and called us. In the very end of verse 10, how he saved us by abolishing death and how he called us by bringing life and immortality to light through the gospel. So bookending it, this is how God saved us and called us in this way. But notice as it begins to come inward, it says, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, met with two other clauses. Which grace, before time began, before the ages began, he gave us in Christ. This grace given to us in Christ before time began, which now, Not just in eternity past, but which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's this symmetry that I want to spend some time thinking about when it comes to the grace of God. Grace, as you know, is unmerited favor. It's unearned Favor that God would give to us to place upon our lives, not because He looked down into time and saw how good of a person you would be, or that you were a person of faith, or that you tried to live in a good way toward your neighbors. Not that. He looks at all of us, fallen in Adam, 
worthy of condemnation, racked and guilty with sin, and still chooses to love us and to give of himself graciously through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us and for our salvation. Notice he says at the very beginning, we need to stop and ponder for a minute the God who saved us. He saved us. And why did he do that? He saved us because of his great grace and his great mercy to a, another church, a church that Timothy would go on to pastor and to serve a long ministry, a fruitful ministry in the church at Ephesus. Paul wrote this to that congregation. He said in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. And then summarily, Paul says, You have been saved by grace. In case that wasn't clear enough, a few verses later in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says this, For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. He saved us because of His grace and His mercy. Though we were sinners... God loved us and determined to bring us to himself, to reconcile us to himself in his mercy. He makes us alive in Christ. I think it's beautiful to say that not only did he save us by his grace, but he goes on and he says he called us to a holy calling or with a holy calling. He called us. Just recently in chapel at Texas Baptist College, I had the privilege to teach on biblical calling And I went down a a deep dive into the New Testament of every reference of calling in the New Testament. And it dawned upon me that that every time it's used in the New Testament, this call, this calling, it is not an invitation that you can take it or leave it. But it is a divine summons from a king. You who are in a far country, the king is commanding you, bringing you into his courts to be with him. Recently... um, I got summoned to jury duty. Anybody ever been there? It was terrible. And I got the card in the mail. You know, the infamous card comes in the mail. And it was not an invitation to show up or not. It was a summons to appear in Johnson County courtroom at 9 a.m. on Monday morning. So I showed up and I thought, you know what? I'm going to tell them I'm a Christian. I'm a Baptist. Uh, I teach at a Christian. I'm going to try to give as much as I can give for you not to want me to serve on this jury. Well, that didn't work. Out of 150 people, it got narrowed down to 48. I was one of the 48. So we get brought into a room. Now there are attorneys who are, who are talking to us and asking us questions. And I'm just going to say everything as truthfully as I could. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Christian. I'm a preacher. What more do you want in this way? Out of that 48, 12 jurors were selected, and I was selected as juror number three. And I thought, great. And here's the thing that the bailiff said to us before we left that day, that we are required and we are summoned to show up back in this room at 9 a.m. the next morning. Not an invitation. 
We came back into that room, the 12 of us, and one of us was missing, juror number two, who sat to my right. She was running late. We were supposed to start at 9 a.m. on the dot. The judge is sitting in there. The, the two that were in the legal dispute and their attorneys were in there. The jury, we're hanging out in the jury room because we're missing juror number two. And the bailiff comes in and he says, she's really not going to like it when I send five uniformed officers to get her out of her room and bring her into this courtroom. Invitation. I think to our minds, when we think about a call or an invitation, we jump to take it or leave it. It was very different when we would tell our boys, John or Ben, come here. That's not an invitation. It's a summons. And if they decided not to obey their mama or their daddy, there were consequences to that. And all that is to say this divine calling by which the Lord of glory calls us out of sin and darkness and the kingdom of Satan into his life, his light, and to the kingdom of the son he loves is a summons from a king that brings about the result that God intends. Not you can take it or leave it, but this is more of his power and his authority that stand behind this to bring us into his kingdom and his glory. I think about, for example, John chapter 6, a beautiful passage of teaching by our Lord Jesus Christ who reminded us in John chapter 6 that all that the Father has given me will come to me and I'll raise him up on the last day. He goes on to say that no one can come to me unless the Father draws him to me. Later in John chapter 6, he says, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless my Father enables you to come to me. And encouched in this is divine calling. Whereas you and I are pursuing other things in our lives, we're going after all different kinds of goals and objectives, no concern of the gospel, no concern with sin or conviction, and let alone Christ himself. That by God's grace, he calls us to hear him, to see him, to know him. Jesus said later in John's gospel in chapter 10, that my sheep, Jesus says, hear my voice and they follow me. And those who do not follow me, Jesus says, you don't follow me, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep, trust me, they hear this divine call, they come to me and know that I can give them protection and provision in every way. We stand back amazed at God's grace, that he did not have to do that. He's not obligated to do that on behalf of anyone. God can, as we read in the Westminster Confession, there is nothing that we can add to him, no glory that he's lacking, nothing that we can bring to him as if he needed anything from us. He is all sufficient in himself, and yet he chooses to save us and to call us and grace us with all of the blessings of what it means to be his children and in his family. He does this not, Paul goes on to say, because of our works. Not because of our works. This celebration of Reformation Sunday is couched within this very issue 500 years ago where reformers by God's grace stood up and said enough is enough trying to 
earn your salvation and teaching people that they can earn their salvation. Even after death, you can go to purgatory and hopefully you can get released from purgatory if enough good works can can be added to your account. It's fascinating to me that there was this Catholic teacher, Johann Tetzel. Little kids, it rhymes with pretzel, okay? Johann Tetzel. Johann Tetzel was going around and teaching, and this is kind of a, a quip that I don't know if I made it up or who made it up, but Tetzel was going around and saying, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And Martin Luther recognized that that kind of indulgence, paying indulgences on behalf of the dead, that they can get out of purgatory better, or living as if the work of Christ is not enough, and we must supplement his sacrifice with our own works if we're going to be justified before God. Leads him on this day, 1517, to march up to the church door at Wittenberg and nail on it 95 Theses. Meredith recommended that I waited a little bit while the church was in session and start banging on the outside door as if I was nailing something to it. I said, well, should I dress up as Martin Luther as well? You know, I don't know how that would go over. But he did that because he recognized, as did others who came to recognize this, like John Calvin and Zwingli and Melanchthon and Beza and so many others that literally suffered persecution for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved and called, not because of our works. If it's because of works, then it's not of grace. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about the book of Galatians chapter 2 and how no one, no one is justified by works. Only by faith in Christ Jesus. This is the message and the heartbeat of the gospel. Not because of our works, but because of His grace and because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a gift of God's grace. Ephesians chapter 2, as it says, that you're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is the gift of God. That gift rooted in grace. Not because of our works, as if we can merit or earn God's favor. As if we can appeal to Him somehow that He would take notice of us. He needs nothing from us. We need everything from Him. And He saved us and He called us not because of our works, but thanks be to God. Here it is. Because of His own purpose and grace. Because of His own purpose and grace. I couldn't help but think about Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, which says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Can you say amen to that in your own life? Can you say amen to that in 24 years of God's faithfulness at Grace Community Church? All things work together for the good of those who love God and who are the called according to His purpose. But we don't stop there because we recognize there's a great purpose that Paul is talking about. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. This purpose 
This purpose that God as the Puritan theologians and pastors would say, this is the golden chain of salvation that God foreknew us and predestined. And by the way, I think we need a correction here to this nefarious idea that God foreknows what we do or foreknows our faith. That's not what Paul is saying. This foreknowledge is that he foreknew us in relationship before we were born and we were created. It's not about information. It's about relation that he foreknows those whom he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he conforms to be like Christ. And you see this golden chain of salvation in the purpose of God. That those he predestined, he also called. He summons to himself. And those whom he summoned will by faith trust in the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and so be justified. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. He saves. And those whom he saves, he brings home to glory. He glorifies. And we could do all of the New Testament scholarly stuff that all of these verbs are in the aorist tense, which is a past tense, as if it's been completed. It's as good as done. And though we struggle in this life with sin and with disobedience and temptation and we try to be as obedient to Christ as we can and to love his word and to give ourselves to spiritual discipline in the life of the church and to make his gospel known in this community and around the world, we recognize that this journey is exactly that. It requires endurance and patience and perseverance. And we keep trusting knowing that between those he justified and those he glorified, there is so much that God is working out in his purposes for us. And those purposes, hopefully good purposes, to conform us into the image of his son. But what if, what if God's purposes are suffering and hardship and difficulty? Are we any better than our master, who was spit upon and mocked and beaten and crucified on a cross that Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and nevertheless I live, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And he says to Timothy here that we are saved and we are called to this holy calling, not because of what we've done, what we've done, but because of God's own purpose. His own purpose is to glorify and magnify His Son. And in so much as the redeeming of sinners like you and me being conformed into the image of His Son to bring glory to His Son, His purpose is being fulfilled as He calls and He justifies. And at the end of all things, that He would glorify but because of his own purpose and grace, grace that is undeserved, but lavished upon us. Which he goes on to say with two dependent clauses that begin with which. His own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Which he gave to us before time itself. He gave this grace to us in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 reminds us, Verses 3 through 6. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, 
in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before time began, to be holy and blameless in love before him. Again, he reminds us that he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the pleasure of his own will. Another way of saying according to his own purpose. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Do you hear that? According to the purpose and pleasure of his own will, to the praise of his glorious grace. For the life of me, I can't understand how some would bristle against this great purpose of God to choose us for himself, to save us, to call us, all of these blessings that he's given us. And I don't know why this is troubling for people. When time after time, even in Ephesians 1 itself, this refrain is right there to the praise of the glory of his grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace. When we think about salvation and our status with God, called to be his children, not because of what we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace, this didn't start with you. This started before time began, before the ages, and this great pleasure of God's will to form for himself a people to bring glory to his grace before ages began. But he doesn't stop there. He says, which now, we can talk about which he gave us in Christ before time began, before the ages began, but now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 reminds us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law for what purpose? That we might be adopted as sons into his family. That language of adoption is inheritance, that we would be blessed by God as part of his family through his firstborn son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that has been manifested to us. I couldn't help but think about this manifestation of the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, how much of this is to the praise of the glory of God's grace. And not just that, but that grace itself is embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ who appeared for us and for our salvation. Think of John's gospel again, chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14. The Word, the Word that was in the beginning with God, the Word that was God, the Word that was with God, this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father. Listen to this full of grace and truth. That when we look upon the face of Jesus, what do we see? We see the glory of God. Not just that, but we receive in Him the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. John goes on to say in verses 16 and 17 of John 1, Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace from His fullness. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You think about the narrative of the Old Testament. 
and how much Israel struggled to be obedient to the law of Moses. All of the sacrificial system, all of the testing of God's goodness and God's mercy and God's work with them, and they could not keep it. For us to hear that the law comes through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ, that we can find in him the fullness of grace and truth because he himself fulfilled the law of Moses. Paul told the church at Rome that Christ Jesus is the end of the law. He's the telos, the goal. He fulfilled it. We need not worry about the works of the law, trying to earn ourselves life by obedience to command and law that Moses laid down. No, no, no. We have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who by God's grace will bring us salvation because he himself is the fullness of grace and truth. So he saved us and he called us, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Now here's how he saved us, and here's how he called us. He abolished death. Abolished death. I'm stunned by Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15, which say, Now since children have flesh and blood in common, that's you and me, we're human, We have flesh and blood in common. Jesus also shared in these. Now listen carefully to what the writer of Hebrews says. He shared in our humanity so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Through his death, he defeats death. There's a wonderful book by Puritan theologian John Owen, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Seems ironic, doesn't it, that he would defeat death by death. And I know we're celebrating Reformation Sunday, but there's a whole world that's going to be celebrating death in just a few days in Halloween. The magnification of death and fear and terror and all those things through Halloween. But here it is. God knows our plight. He knows the grace we need because we are languishing under the fear of slavery to death. That death is imminent. It's all around us. Condemnation reigns. I mean, think about John 3.16. For God loved the world in this way that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Yes and amen. But if you go on to read verses 17 and 18, what does it say? That those who do not believe are already condemned. And Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Because the world is already condemned. We feel it. We live in this water of condemnation and we swim in the sea of death. And why should we magnify death when we should be magnifying death? and the one who defeated death through his death. So, it says he abolished death through his own death and brought life 
and immortality to light through the gospel. You think about the end of John's gospel. John chapter 20, verse 31. John says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. The one that he talked about in chapter 1, that in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That he brings life to us. Ironically, through his death, we find life. And how is that? Through this immortality that he provides for us, that not only did he die, but he raised from the dead on the third day. And the grave could not hold him. And I'll remind you what he said to Martha while her brother is in the tomb in John chapter 11. Martha, your brother's going to rise again. I know, Lord. At the end of all things, he'll rise again. Jesus said, you're not hearing me. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who dies, though he believes in me, he will live. And he asks the preeminent question to Martha. And he asks it to you as well. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? Not just that at the end of all things, resurrection will happen, but that in me is resurrection and life. Before he goes to the tomb to summons Lazarus from the dead, she is asked by Jesus, do you believe this? It's the most pressing question related to the grace of God for your life and for your eternity. Do you believe this? That in Jesus is life. That he himself is resurrection. This is the immortality that he brings to light through the gospel. Is that he died for sin and he was raised for our justification. And that's why we can say with Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. This is power. The power of God to save. In this good news, that we were lost, unworthy, unable to earn God's favor, but he saved us and called us, not because of what we can do or not do, but because of his own purpose and grace by abolishing death and bringing life and immortality to light through the gospel. How did he save us? By abolishing death. How does he call us? Through this gospel. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Listen to what he says. He called you to this salvation through the gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of grace. Now, Why do we see good things happening to bad people? Why do we see salvation coming to sinners, free to us, but costly to Christ? Why do we see these things? Simply put, because of the grace of God. All of grace. What we deserve is condemnation and judgment for our sins. Sinners by nature and sinners by choice. Rebels in a far country from God, but brought near by the blood of His Son. 
What we deserve is not grace, not mercy, but he lavishes it upon us because of his nature and because of who he is. I would just remind you as we close, don't nullify the grace of God in your lives. Magnify the grace of God in your lives. How best to do that? But by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him. That great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who himself loved the theology of the Reformers, who loved the piety of the Puritans, and stood upon these doctrines of grace in a different generation, wrote a book himself called All of Grace. And the heartbeat of that book, All of Grace, is this, that you and I who are sinners who deserve judgment and condemnation can seek salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ because it is all of grace from beginning to middle to completion. Everything that God has done for us and for our salvation is all of grace. Where are you, that great prince of preachers would ask? Where are you under conviction of sin? Are you hearing the call of Christ through the Spirit, through the gospel? Are you thinking and actively pursuing faith and repentance in Christ? Do you rest in your acceptance by God in Christ? Have you tasted of the heavenly gift of salvation in Christ? Are you pursuing and pleading God for entrance into his kingdom? The Prince of Preachers would say, look to Christ. And receive in him the fullness of grace and truth that God has put before us. The one who has abolished death, who brought life and immortality to light in the gospel. Who was manifest for us. We read about him in the pages of scripture. But before time began, this whole purpose of calling us and saving us was granted to us in Christ. We stand as grateful people, sons and daughters of the King, undeserving, singing and praising God for grace alone. Singing and praising God for Christ alone, in whom we can praise Him, that it is not by works, but it's by faith alone. And we know the truths of these things confirmed over and over and over again because it's in Scripture alone. And today, in a celebration of 24 years of God's faithfulness and His grace among this body, we can sing and promote glory to God alone for these things He has done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ. In Him... We have salvation. In him we find the fullness of grace and truth. And just to be reminded this morning that everything about our lives is all of grace. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness toward us. When we deserve just the opposite, you give us what we don't deserve in grace. When we deserve just the opposite, you withhold from us what we do deserve by your great mercy and kindness. Lord, we thank you that before time began, that you had a purpose 
and a will according to your pleasure to magnify and to glorify yourself for the praise of the glory of your grace by sending forth your Son that all who would look to him in faith would see salvation, would hear this call, and would benefit by the abolishing of death and the granting of life and immortality through the gospel. Would you help us as a church, as people of God, to preach this good news and to hold this good news out for a community that is lost and hopeless without Christ. To pray for your great grace to be evident, evident in this community, evident in the gospel going forth. And Lord, that we would rest in this great grace as individuals who have tasted and seen that you are good, have heard your call to come to you in faith, that we might receive eternal life. And so we have. Thanks be to God, in Jesus' name.